Welcome to the weekly edition of Beyond the Title, where we get to know the person behind the strategy, the story, and yes, the brand. Joining us every week are senior professionals across the globe. So amazing that we just have to know who they are. Joining us today is uh, Prantik Majumdar from Happy Marketer, now part of Dentsu uh, Global. Uh, hi, welcome, Prantik. Hi, Steve. Pleasure to be here. I've uh, had the good fortune of interacting with quite a few folks from Insider. I'm uh, really happy that I get the chance to be part of uh, this internal nice little initiative. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you. You know what? I've been learning about you. Of course, a lot of our insiders know you well, but you know, I've been reading up on your LinkedIn profile and I, I, I saw that you were one of the, uh, you're one of the uh, 50 most influential marketers on the planet. Uh, that's an amazing title to have. Is, is there a story behind that? Uh, well, yes, uh, this is something, uh, I'm, again, very fortunate. I think uh, this happened around Feb 2015 when, uh, you know, there was a World Marketing Congress and, uh, yeah, uh, someone wrote to me to kind of request me to submit an entry and I did. And in terms of, so they had, a, you know, they had the usual criteria of work done and sure. uh, impact on clients, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that was a fascinating event that happened in Mumbai. And so it happens usually either Singapore, Mumbai or some other part of Asia. Uh, and it, it was exciting because uh, the story there is, you know, I originally come from Pune and my parents lived there. So uh, they were, of course, very happy and proud. They could they could drive down from Pune and we could <laughs> attend the event together. And I think the, the one of the fascinating things was that I, on that same year, one of my clients also happened to be there from Singapore. Uh, his name's Sam Ahmed. He used to work for uh, Starbucks or MasterCard back then. And so it was, uh, there were at least four or five people from Singapore, but it was good to be there with parents and with one of my uh, favorite clients. Awesomeness, awesomeness. Now, let's get to know a little bit more about Prantik as we go into this call. So uh, you mentioned, right, a lot of what you do comes from passion, comes from, you know, uh, doing what you really believe in. So what is it that, that motivates you to get out of bed each morning? What's your ikigai? Yeah, that's a good one. I think, you know, that's so true that I think in life, unless you have a strong why, uh, you know, I think it's been about 15 plus years in the industry, you know, so my career is after I graduated, I worked for the Singapore government. So there was three and a half years of public sector experience. Then I moved to a couple of uh, private sector enterprises, small, medium enterprise. And then I started on my own. And now once we have sold this, I'm into my first corporate uh, co corporate gig, if you will. So it's been an interesting journey. And I think the why that's remained, uh, I would say, fairly constant is there are a few whys. I think hence the Ikigai, you know, the, the three-circle Venn diagram. I think to me, the element of knowledge, uh, you know, something that satisfies my curiosity and knowledge uh, and what I like to internally call perceived knowledge, I think that's a huge driver. That if I, very early in the game, I realized that I can't be in a, a job where I have my blinkers on and, you know, I can't sure. experiment and I can't uh, learn from different people. So I think that thirst for knowledge is a big one. The next one is uh, being able to meet people. So I think, you know, a platform of this sort is fantastic. Or so my day, I, I, I just can't be behind a desk, so to speak. Or even if I am, I, I need to be connecting with people through platforms such as Zoom, StreamYard. So that's the second driver. And the third is I genuinely think that, uh, you know, being in a position to 
impact people in, in a, a certain way. Now, impact doesn't ha- doesn't always necessarily mean charity. Uh, it could mean various ways, right? So for me, for example, it could be in terms of motivating people. So I think I, I, I as part of Happy Marketer, one of my favorite things was to just hang out with people. So I think, you know, I don't know if Ria, Ria is watching this. So every time I would go to Bangalore, uh, you know, my favorite days were just spending time with folks in the Bangalore office, getting to know them uh, outside of work, right? Or it could be teaching something. So I, I do a lot of training in Singapore uh, on topics around digital. Uh, so I think any way that you can create yeah. positive momentum or positive impact in people's life, it's usually time and knowledge more than money. I think that gives That's me true. a lot of satisfaction. So uh, I think these three things are a big part of my ikigai. And if you if you can somehow throw cricket in that, I think life's, life's perfect. <laughs> See, I, I'm, I'm happy you're saying this because one of the common themes that we've had at BTT with all, and we are fortunate to have this, but with all the interviews we've had, every single professional we've seen like yourself is driven by making not just themselves, but their community that's around them, the people that's around them happy. And for those who are watching BTT right now, Ria is one of our most amazing creative talents who's had the chance of also working with Prantik and does uh, call Prantik her mentor. So that's actually great for, for being her in name dropping her in there. Thanks so much about uh, Prantik. Uh, now, speaking about, you know, life itself if life were a movie uh what character would you play me particularly i would love to be batman but you know that that's a <laughs> more fictional character so what about you good question i mean i'm a i'm a big bollywood buff so if i get a chance i would i would want to be shahrukh khan in uh, i don't know i mean i'm sure a lot of people don't follow bollywood but there's a particular movie that i'm massively influenced right from my childhood it's called uh, DDLJ and just celebrated 25 <laughs> years. So, if you are hand to heart, that's the character of playing Raj in Switzerland. But uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, I think a character that I've kind of looked up to in terms of, you know, uh, a real character, you know, played in movies, uh, probably two. So, one is uh, one is a sports example, and the other is a scientist. So, I think John Nash, if someone sees uh, a beautiful mind, I think. Yeah. That was a movie that really, really uh, influenced me. The other is, again, being a big cricket buff. I think uh, I've been a... So my personal favorite cricketer is, as with, I'm sure, billions of people, is Sachin Tendulkar. But from a movie, I would probably choose, uh, you know, uh, India's uh, ex-captain, MS Dhoni. I think that movie, uh, I'm a big fan of that. Also, just just the impact that he's had on a generation, uh, primarily given where he came from. Someone who's come from... Uh, a small town uh, city in India and then rose up the ranks and then has led the country. I think it's the element of leadership and people management. Uh, is That's something that I kind of uh, relate to. Oh, awesomeness. Can I ask you the name of the movie? I, I haven't watched Dhoni's movie, it's, by the way. It's called It's called uh, MS Dhoni or Dhoni, The Story Untold. Yeah. Dhoni, The Story Untold. For those who are looking for it, that's the movie. DDLJ, uh, that is Dilwali Dulhania Le Jayenge, which is an amazing Bollywood movie by Shah Rukh Khan. So if you've got the time, guys, do catch it this weekend. Uh, on Netflix, I think it's already there. Yeah, it's there on Netflix. Amazingly nice, nice storyline. Very romantic. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> you mentioned you like to connect with people, right? Uh, on on platforms like Zoom or StreamYard uh, or any of these lovely platforms. But what is the one app that keeps you sane and structured you know, through your day? Because again, now you're part of this amazing corporate structure, but even before then you were, you know, Happy Market was a busy, busy agency. So 
what's keeping you, keep you sane? Keeping me sane. I would say two things. Uh, I think, uh, you know, one, it's surprising. I think the just, uh, I, I do use my calendar app, uh, you know, and that kind of honestly keeps me in a particular rhythm and structure. So very weirdly, the Google calendar app, I think does a great job. <laughs> it's very simple, but it just, and I'm someone who kind of wear, likes to wear, uh, you know, I like to kind of be very transparent. I, I'm not the kind of guy who has his professional and personal life separate. Uh, you know, there is this whole philosophy of work-life balance or there's a philosophy of what do you call, you know, it's like a, a Jenga. Work and life kind of happen, you know, in yeah. between as and when. So given that, um, you know, mode, I don't really differentiate. So I think having a calendar where I have all my personal and professional activities put out there keeps me structured. But I think, you know, since you use the word sane, I would also mention uh, medium. I, I love reading and I think... Uh, of course, I do read The New Yorker, The Economist, etc. But I think there is something about something very real and tangible about yes. blogs written by, you know, people like everyday people. Yes, everyday people. Right. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy just yesterday. I came across a beautiful piece on uh, it's, it's a piece written about one of the founders of a very large creative agency called DDB. And it's a historic piece about one of the founders and his perspective on creativity, uh, you know, how insights drove creativity about some of those seminal ads uh, that, you know, we may have seen in the 50s and 60s in the yeah. Mad Men era. Uh, so I think it's those realistic articles. Honestly, every time I take a break, apart from I'm a big, uh, fairly active on social media, but I would make it a point to at least read two normal articles on media. So media. <laughs> Hey, I'm a huge fan of Medium myself. Uh, I, I don't read a lot of people on Medium, so I, I pick and choose a few. And because my line of work is is marketing, I do enjoy reading this guy called Tony Himes. He's uh, yeah. he's one of the media managers of of Shisaido Global, uh, yeah. and he calls out on a lot of bullshit, you know, jargon <laughs> people put out out there. So yeah. uh, it, it's worth actually reading Medium. You're right; it's everyday people talking about you know everyday stuff that does affect them. Uh, and yeah. it's always nice to to get that perspective. No one's putting too many facades out there. Absolutely. Now, because I know, by the way, uh, what's the story behind this lovely picture of you that we've used as a creative with your son? Uh, and what's his name? His name is Ayan. He's four Ayan. years old. Uh, yeah, that story is it's, it's from one of our vacations a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story where I think, you know, one thing I was just telling a friend of mine that I'm really blessed is that this year, in a very weird way, uh, I'm so happy that I don't have to travel that often for work. Uh, when he was at that age, when that photograph was taken, uh, you know, uh, it was pretty much every week that I would have to travel somewhere for business. Uh, but and I, and I think it's coincided well. I think uh, since two, two and a half years old, I think, you know, uh, kids kind of tend to express themselves. You know, you can play, yeah. you can take them out. And I think I've been very fortunate that this year, I've got a lot of time to spend together with him. Uh, in fact, there used to be a joke that, uh, so I think when he was around that age, when that photograph was taken, I used to travel to Manila very often. And uh, so whenever he would get, you know, he would either miss me or would get angry at me for whatever reason. Uh, when I'm leaving and I'm going going somewhere, he would just look at me and so he calls me Baba. Uh, so he would just look at me and say, Baba, you go to Manila. That was his way of expressing displeasure. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm definitely not want to see you right now. You can go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you, you can go ahead. I don't need you. That's his way of expressing displeasure. So, yeah, that was at the age where he was, uh, he was obviously tinier than what he is today. Uh, very, very innocent. But, yeah, that's, 
I'm really, really blessed that I've had a have had good chance to kind of travel with both uh, him and my wife, Dipti, who's a doctor. She has a very bit busy schedule as well. But I think this year we really had a very good opportunity to kind of spend time well within the borders of Singapore. Uh, but yeah. Awesomeness. By the way, what was your first job? Now you know you're an entrepreneur and everything, but what was your first job? Well, my first job was uh, actually with a this is during my student days uh, when I was in year two uh, in NUS in Singapore. I started as a part-time database entry guy at a very large uh, MNC called Alcoa. Alcoa okay. is into uh, aluminium and uh, various kinds of metals. So uh, there was a very kind gentleman who uh, just, you know, I, I was looking for a part-time gig as a foreign student to make money, extra money in Singapore. So he just asked me to do a data entry job, uh, which I was very grateful for. I did that for six months. Uh, and then I had two serious internships thereafter at Accenture uh, in Singapore. Uh, so I did a, a good 12 months internship again while studying during the break. But my first official full-time job was with the Singapore government uh, for a body called IE Singapore, International Enterprise Singapore. Right. And... Uh, yeah, so they. I mean, it's a fascinating organization, uh, the Singapore government as a whole, because, you know, I grew up in India for 13 years and then I, I did my high schooling in Indonesia and I grew up there for about five, six years, having lived in two very dynamic uh, emerging markets. Yet we know that these two countries obviously, unfortunately, have challenges on the, you know, on the government side sure. in terms of corruption, etc., to have a chance to work in a government or body in Singapore. So the, this body was responsible to drive foreign trade with other countries. Uh, and it's mind-boggling the way a government can run like a private enterprise. It's fascinating, the pace. Nice. The, uh, so my role for the first year and a half was to work with local tech mobile startups to help them go international. Uh, and in the last two years, I was responsible to drive any kind of foreign investment into Eastern India. Uh, mostly real estate, mostly infrastructure. Uh, but I think the efficiency of the government, the transparency, as well as the fact that, uh, you know, a small little country, which, you know, uh, a famous Indonesian politician had called it, uh, uh, I, I suppose he meant it as an insult, but I think to me it shows the power <laughs> of the country. He called it the red, little red dot, essentially saying that, you know, you can't even see this country yeah. on the map. But to see a country of this nature, which is just, you know, uh, 55 years old with no natural resources whatsoever. It gets its water from its so-called uh, rival state. Uh, for it to kind of punch above its weight, uh, I think th that was a great uh, jump start to my career. So, yeah, that's where I started my, uh, you know, I spent my first three and a half years. Awesome. And if you could take one lesson from this, what would you take? From my government from, role, uh, yeah. Uh, if you could, if you could turn back time, and if you could do something differently, or if you could take back a lesson and say, "Yeah, this is what I should have been implementing all my life," you know, what would you take? So I'll tell you a lesson, and I'll tell you what I think I could have done differently or better. So I think one of my biggest lessons, you know, in my first job was uh, was what to kind of understand and crystallize what's expected out of me. Uh, I still remember it was a very second week and my boss had asked me to kind of analyze something and come with a presentation. I thought I did a great job at the presentation, but uh, he clearly didn't think so. And <laughs> he turned around and he said, look, so I, what I had done very well, I think, and which he acknowledged is that I analyzed the problem, whatever he had given me, you know, to the T, I did a great job. 
And I highlighted a lot of problems. I said, you know, this is wrong. This is the problem. This needs an improvement. And he turned around and said, look, I haven't hired you to tell me the problems. You either tell me a solution or you at least propose and recommend uh, some solutions and the rationale behind it. And I think my and that that's a message I've carried all my life and I share with my staff, with my colleagues is I think a lot of us bring analysis as a skill set, skepticism as a perspective, which is important. But I think the flip side, what's important is one part of the brain can be used to analyze a problem to, uh, you know, the good and the bad. The other side of analysis is to be able to synergize, is to yeah. be able to stitch the different pieces together to uh, narrate and storytell better and to be able to solve that problem or at least make a recommendation. Uh, so that's been a huge, uh, it's a very small episode in that early first month of my career there, but it stuck with me. Uh, and whenever I meet Andrew, my uh, one of my first bosses, I tell him I'm extremely you know, grateful for that lesson because I think it, it also helped me during my entrepreneurial career is, you know, you always, there are n number of reasons why something can't work, but all you need is one reason for it to work. And you need to focus on that solution and then you need to believe that you can make it happen. Is uh, that, that also a leadership challenge you face as your again entrepreneurial journey, right? Is that also a leadership challenge you face in in teaching your your staff or your colleagues that you know, guys, it's not just important to bring problems to you face. What are the recommendations of solutions and what's your rationale behind it? Absolutely, I think because uh, simply, especially the younger folks, because I'll tell you why. Because I was speaking to someone uh, a couple of nights ago. He he comes from the probably number one MBA school uh, from India. So if there are guests from India, it's uh, he's from IIM Ahmedabad, the top uh, MBA Huge. school. Yep. Uh, and, anyway, and then he's worked in some of the large consulting firms. He was head of strategy at UBS Bank. And he said, you know, one of the biggest challenges of, again, he was referring to his education system, but I think it applies to most, uh, most education systems, especially in Asia. I think we are, there is an analysis paralysis. I think we are taught very well how to analyze a problem, to look deep. But I think our education system does not encourage or teach us a few skill sets in schools or colleges is uh, this whole thing of solutions, finding yeah. creative thinking to find a solution. Or you can hi hypothesize that there are 10 problems that I anticipate, but you got to force your mind to think there's always a way out. You got to believe that. Of course. Uh, and I think that's the part that is that usually lacks no matter how good a student he or she is, simply because for 20 years of our lives, we've never been trained to think that way. We've always been trained to think of, hey, uh, you know, tell me more about the problem, analyze the problem. Even when you do your critical essays, you're always looking at breaking a problem down. True. Very seldom are people taught. So, uh, you know, this is, uh, and this is something you learn, you have to learn as you get to the industry that I think very few bosses would be happy uh, if we just go back to them week after week with problems. Of course, of course. Now, what are your hopes for the future in, in, in you know, such a, let's say, yeah, where we are right now is, is a unique, but also, you know, both unfortunate, but also fortunate time of our lives. Many times we're able to spend more time with our families, as we said. There are companies who've who've excelled in being digitally responsible, uh, and there are, of course, a number of things we can take. But again, there are a number of things that have paralyzed society as a whole. So, what are your hopes for the future, both for your industry, uh, but also personally? Yeah, I think you know. Firstly, I think this has given us time to pause and think. The very fact that you asked me this question, I think if life was normal, business was booming. 
Uh, I think humans unfortunately need a crisis or a kick in the backside to kind of you know take a pause and think. Uh, which you know, I, I, and personally, that's true for me as well. I just think we tend to our society, our culture, our you know, workplaces incentivize doing and not thinking. So true. So something that we have tried to institutionalize in our company is guys take a day off every week to just sit and think. I think a we need to. We need, you know, humans. The biggest difference, ironically, amongst humans or any other animals in the kingdom, is the power of thought and creativity. And you know, so I think I'm glad about that. In terms of being hopeful, notwithstanding COVID, I think of course COVID has, you know, I, I'm sure this people would have seen memes about it or read articles. It's definitely accelerated a lot of things which may have happened otherwise. Uh, yeah. No two ways about it. What I'm really hopeful about is consciousness conscious competence or mindfulness when it comes to you know being responsible global citizens that's honestly what i am uh, very hopeful about and what do i mean I, I really mean you know there have been trends about sustainability all of that uh, you know are going on in the world right every business has a csr initiative every business has a charity sure. but i think what i'm really hopeful and i, I and i think we are seeing evidence that uh, companies and people are getting mindful about sustainability as well as change as well as yeah. climate etc you know just last friday i was moderating a, a tedx panel in singapore where there was the head of twitter from singapore there was the chief sustainability officer in the largest bank in singapore dbs it's amazing that a bank has a role such as a cso That's a i'm taking that as a note down by the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah that could be our that could be your next application yeah and there was a professor from uh, INSEAD, or the number one business school. And the topic was this, is transforming corporations and companies when it comes to sustainability. What was very encouraging is this, right? So I, as a moderator, I was talking about, uh, there is a global organization called the Business Roundtable. It's essentially the, the leaders, the collective body of the largest companies in the world. And this year, we're celebrating 50 years since a famous economist called Milton Friedman. Milton Friedman, Friedman uh, yeah. he postulated this theory that the only responsibility of a company or a corporation is to serve at the pleasure of his stake, uh, stock uh, shareholder, which means all that you need to do is drive profits uh, so that the shareholder is happy. It's been 50 years that companies have been running with this mission. Only last year, this is pre-COVID, 2019, the Business Roundtable turned around and changed that statement. So a statement that has been lingering on, been archaic for 50 years, suddenly they've changed that we need to move away from the, the just the pure uh, you know, stockholder, so to speak, the shareholder. We need to take care of the other stakeholders, employees, communities, yeah. suppliers. To me, that's a huge sign. And then when I was questioning the leaders from Twitter, DBS, and the professor, they are actually seeing uh, a massive change actually happening in the business. So the so banking true. gentleman said the bank is actually rejected funding businesses that are into uh, fossil fuel, right? So they're actually rejecting revenue. Yep. The lady at Twitter talked about data centers. They're actually very conscious about, uh, you know, what kind of data centers do they work with, don't work with. And one of the things that the professor said is the movement is very strong in Asia for two reasons. One is the Asian companies usually are family-owned businesses and are not listed on the stock market, which means they don't really have large public shareholders to uh, report to. So, you know, change can happen quickly. There's no baggage, so to speak. And the other heartening thing, which I'm most hopeful about when you ask me that question, is the change is being driven thanks to the 
consciousness and mindfulness of employees. The employees are driving change within that. Hey, are you so sourcing true. this Starbucks coffee from, you know, from in a responsible way? Is your company energy neutral? For example, Densu, uh, it was very heartening to see now that I work uh, as part of Densu, they've become the first company in the industry to be 100% energy neutral. Awesome. And, and congrats to Denso on that. And I'll, I'll just add one thing. I'm being a bit more cautious in time, given that, yeah. you know, we, we do want to uh, end it in a bit of time. But uh, being mindful of time here, Richard Branson mentioned this as well. Uh, I think about four years ago when he spoke at an event, he said that I want to turn Virgin from a uh, from a customer centric company to an employee-centric company because at the end of it our employees are our ambassadors in any and every you know line of that company uh, and I think that's a great thing that Dentsu also does and I, I know from what you've been telling me you know you as uh, as the founder of Happy Marketer is also inspiring to do in your company. Absolutely I mean I, I, I totally believe in the fact that it has to be employee first because especially in services organization like ours we exist because of people. Right? Yeah. So if people are not happy, if they're not motivated, nothing moves. Uh, so, so absolutely, no two ways about that. Last question for you. Uh, what was the weirdest moment in your life? Well, what is that one weird story that you haven't shared much with too many people or fact about you? Good question. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think something that uh, you know, very few people, I think, again, if I look at weird or, uh, let me think, this is a tough one. <laughs> uh, yes, I think, uh, you know, with, with a lot of people, what I haven't really, I mean, some people, obviously the closest people know, uh, know about this, but many don't, is that uh, uh, two things. I think uh, now that I'm, since I'm opening the kimono, I might as well. Uh, one is that, you know, so I, I was always a very good student in school, uh, you know, till my high school. I would typically, I come from a, you know, a family that's academically focused. I would typically be in the top three. But I think a fact that very few people don't know and uh, is that in college, I failed a module. Uh, and, you know, today it's, today it seems uh, funny and it's happy to share about it. But back then it wasn't because for a so-called topper in school to, you know, come to university and fail in a module, I think uh, that was disastrous primarily from a, <laughs> a social embarrassment perspective. Uh, I think that's one because, I, but, you know, I can tell you this. Uh, I was addressing another company and I was sharing very transparently is, I can't tell you uh, the positive impact of that in the longer run, because to be able to face failure socially with your family, with uh, you know friends, colleagues, etc., is it's a game changer. Because then suddenly you realize, wow, I mean, you know, nothing can go wrong. And I think that attitude eventually definitely helped me in my entrepreneurial career or as a salesperson as well. Because I guess you just you start accepting failure quite well. Awesome. And, so yeah, that I think that definitely. If I, if I look back, uh, it was weird, <laughs> awkward, embarrassing. You you can call it everything. Yeah, <laughs> awesomeness, awesomeness, Prantik. Great to have you on board. Great to have you at BTT. I'm looking forward to your session at Uplift APAC uh, later on in on the 19th of November. Uh, and again, you know, thanks so much for joining BTT. I'm looking forward to many more conversations with you and and the Denso team. No, thanks, Steve. And again, a big thanks to Ria for kind of inviting me. I'm glad we could make this happen. Also, you know, Patrick and uh, Bipin, etc. I mean, Ankesh, I think, you know, uh, we've been we've been chatting, we've been working on some accounts together in Singapore. I'm really loving the fact, you know, uh, what you guys have been doing. I was a big fan 
uh, of the large event that you guys hosted. In fact, I think I saw you there. Uh, Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, for the first time. Uh, I, I loved, uh, I think, the, especially the, I still remember the, the chat that you guys had with the gentleman from uh, Sequoia. Uh, so I think, you know, what do you guys Peter. have? Uh, yeah, what do you, Peter, exactly. What do you guys have done in terms of these digital events? Fascinating. Uh, keep the good work up. And yeah, I look forward to working together with Patrick and team in the region to hopefully do more work together in APAC. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you make me blush, Prante. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> uh, 